Welcome. This is Sacred Tension, a podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. Very well done. Did Beautiful. I, did I do good? Did I? You did that great. And what's your name? Um, I don't know. I have so many. Um... <laughs> All right. I am Stephen Long. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. I am sitting here with my best lifelong friend. Yes. Ma- yes. I'm the infected hangnail that just won't go away. Ida Carolina. Well, <laughs> Miss Ida Carolina, a.k.a. Nathan Adams. The uh, the Queen Elizabeth of the South, one of the most fabulous drag queens, and we went to high school together, and we're going to talk about that. We are going to talk about being queer in Christian school, growing up in the belly of evangelical Christian culture. Yes, that's when that's before Ida became a thing, and I was just Nathan. So, all right. So Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, the day star is out, but I've had coffee, so. <laughs> How long have you been doing drag at this point? Professionally, two and a half-ish years, and I did about a year and a half amateur before I turned pro, I guess. But as fabulous as Miss Ida's adventures are, I believe we're here to talk about Nathan's adventures. Yeah, so before there was Miss Ida, there was the awkward little... I was never little. You know, Correct yourself. You were you were never little. Um, there was the the socially awkward uh, queer child named Nathan Adams. So we met in high school. I was sixteen, and you were fourteen. Yes. And so, tell us some about your upbringing. What was your life like as a queer child in the South in Baptist evangelical circles? Well. I was homeschooled for most of it, so I went to Sunday school, and I had an art class I attended in elementary school, so I didn't... So actually, when we met, I had only been going to traditional school for like a year and a couple months, so it was much better than it definitely could have been, because I just kind of was in my house all the time, at least during my elementary school days, and... My parents, I mean, my, my parents were like surprised, like I had to come out to them and they were perhaps the only people in the entire universe I actually had to come out to because <laughs> everybody else was aware of it before I was. And you are the most fabulous little queen I've ever met. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I was not the most fabulous little queen I'd ever met because I didn't, I didn't meet myself. I was like, here I am, just a young, normal, heterosexual Christian child. <laughs> but I played with Barbies as a child. And one thing I appreciate is that there wasn't a lot of like weird like hand wringing about that. Or at least as if there was, it was never to my face. And yeah, there was, there wasn't a lot of policing of my gender norms as a child, Mm -hmm. which was nice. And I think part of that is because I would say I come from a background that is very evangelical Southern Baptist-esque, but it's my grandfather from my mother's father, who was from the side of the family that we were very close to, was a pastor, but in Pennsylvania, in that kind of like non-denominational northern strain of theology that is very similar uh, in a lot of ways to Southern Baptist theology. Yeah, it's essentially Baptist, but just doesn't have the name. Right, but it, and it also <clears throat> doesn't have a lot of the trappings of the very intense culture right. of 
potlucks and busybodying <laughs> and crazy <laughs> spirituals and revivals. It's kind of like it's kind of like the culture of Presbyterianism with the theology of Southern Baptists. So, so you, you can... so you mentioned your gender just a minute ago. Do you see yourself as gender nonconforming now? Yes, definitely. I identify as non-binary. Okay. Non-binary, gender queer, bi-gender, not 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 just a dude. Not just a dude. Okay. I am very much just a dude. And I've always been kind of just a dude, but you going back to your childhood were not just a dude. Oh no. No. Okay. I had I didn't have Ken. I ha- I I think I had some Ken dolls, but my prized doll was uh Todd, which I think is Barbie's cousin. I don't know. He's like Skipper's friend. I don't I don't I don't know the whole family tree. But he was a soccer player doll and I don't remember this, but my cousin insists that I refused to have Todd in his soccer outfit and I would pitch a fit if she tried to put Todd in his boy clothes and I insisted on having him in dresses, which I don't remember, but I believe her. Right. So, you know, the road to hell begins there. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is a boy doll like me. He needs to be wearing dresses. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I I feel like a lot of, a lot of people in our generation went through Christian school and and by the way for for listeners to understand we went through Christian high school together and then we went through private Christian college together and hopefully if we have time we'll we'll talk about that too. Our mistakes so nice we made it twice. Exactly. Let me let me adjust your pop filter here. Thank you baby. Yeah, I'm I'm here for you baby. Okay. <laughs> um and and so for I I feel like for a lot of people our age our generation we were raised in this evangelical culture, and it was a loving community. There was no doubt about that. There was there was a it was a loving environment, and people genuinely cared for us, genuinely loved us. However, it wasn't the love that was in question. It was the messages. It was the beliefs and the ideologies that we have kind of spent our whole lives repairing. I mean, there was definitely the intention of love. There was definitely the philosophy of love. I, I'm i not always convinced there was actually love because with family members and with people in the community, I sometimes felt that they didn't love me. They loved the idea of what I was supposed to be. They loved right. little heterosexual young Christian boy who I thought I was and was trying my damnedest to be. Right. So that's actually a really good point. So it was a very conditional love. Yes. As long as you... And so maybe I should amend that statement where it's like I'm picturing a a sphere, I'm picturing a circle, and as long as you color within that circle, as long as you stay within that space, then it is a genuinely wonderful experience for some people. Like our mutual friend Danielle, who was on on the show uh, last week or, or several weeks ago, she had a wonderful experience. And because growing up, she was very much within that circle. <laughs> well, white people also have a great experience with police, so. That's, yes, that's true. <laughs> I um, mean, and that's not to say there weren't people who genuinely loved, and that's not to say that there aren't people in that culture or in my life who have a discomfort with my gender identity or my sexuality or my artistic explorations in that culture who there are people who have discomfort with that, but still genuinely love me. 
But especially, especially at high school, there were very few teachers who I felt like really gave me the time of day. And I was so frustrated with that because I really, I mean, you remember I gave it everything. You my gave all. it your all. Absolutely. Like, I was there to be a part of the community. I yeah, was you there were. to do whatever they wanted to do. And both in academics and in community life. And in academics, I was a rock star and I didn't understand why my academic <clears throat> privilege wasn't working the way it was supposed to. And all the teachers didn't love me. <laughs> but it was because they could see that I was queer even when I wasn't. Even if they wouldn't say it, even if they didn't have yes. a label for and there it. And there was this deep discomfort with that. Whereas, you know, I think because I am definitely more of a dude and more cis, even though I'm, I'm very, very gay, I've always been able to kind of go under the radar more. But even, even you, I think, still experience kind of that, oh, well, that's Steven. He's special. He's special. But it also helped that you were... <laughs> athletic and charismatic and that was another thing it's like they didn't like they were looking for like the next billy graham or billy sunday or etc etc they wanted you to be like if you were a dude or assigned male at birth you were supposed to be like this strong athletic charismatic like i was one of maybe i'm i'm thinking right now how many people in our high school were like overweight like four yeah yeah, it was like the 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 overweight population was similar to the black population. Right, right. <laughs> we had like, more overweight people than we had black people. It was but... like five black people and 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 six right. <laughs> six fat people. Right. <laughs> and none of us were morbidly obese. We were just a little chunky. But still it was but there was oh. And so perhaps we should back up and talk about the the Christian high school that we went to. We went to a, I'll go ahead and, and fucking name it. It is ACA, Asheville Christian Academy. A non-denominational. Very uh, conservative school. At, at least it was conservative when we went there. I'm assuming it still is. It was um, very preppy, very wealthy. Um, Which also ties into the fact that nobody was overweight. Yeah, very evangelical, very athletic, and very intensely academic. And uh, it was a it was a ruthless place to grow up. It was it was a fucking jungle. It was incredibly ruthless where we had to we had to maintain there was this constant pressure to maintain the appearance of Christian holiness. And what I found is that as long as I maintained that impression, it didn't matter if I wanted to kill myself. It didn't matter if I was cutting myself up. It didn't matter what I was doing. It was it was fine, you know. As long as I'm, as long as we looked good. As long as you colored inside the lines. As long as you colored inside the lines, that's all that mattered. I feel like I have spent a lifetime unpacking and evaluating and reversing a lot of the messages that I learned about myself specifically, and not just as a gay person, but just as a human being. Oh, definitely, ditto. And so I'm wondering, what messages did you learn? I think a lot of, I think the big one for me is self-hatred. I think I really, because I'm so intellectually wired mm. and because I have a tendency to go into the extremes in my thinking, I really took to heart the whole conditional aspect. Like, you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith, but you better get your works together, honey. <laughs> well, or it's, it's almost like a form of gaslighting where you're saved by grace you're saved by faith, but if you fuck up in this one particular way, if you're gay or if you're too effeminate, 
then that grace doesn't cover. It's the it's these unspoken pitfalls of grace. It is the unspoken dead zones of grace. Yeah, dead zones a good word for it because it's not even so much like because of course they never said oh stop being so gay because they didn't want to suggest that I was gay or probably never even thought it themselves because they were or if they did they'd dismiss it because of so much denial but this incredible you're saved by faith but if you're not if you're not coloring inside the lines you're putting yourself in real peril yeah exactly and i think i really internalize that as i need to earn my worth yeah and also because in addition to that i think feeling like I needed to earn my worth and also not feeling a lot of support, especially because I was homeschooled from first, I was in kindergarten. I went to kindergarten in a private school and, you know, when you're five, everybody can be a little effeminate. So it was fine. And then I was homeschooled from first grade to seventh grade. And in those homeschool years, I felt a little bit more acceptance from like my Sunday school teachers and one of my main outlets for getting out of the house was an art class that was run for homeschoolers but of course that's an art class so artsy people are going to be more comfortable with effeminates even if they're Christian yes and so when I got to ACA for eighth and ninth grade there was all of a sudden this very huge cold shoulder from a lot of people in authority like I didn't feel like a majority of the teachers really liked me or supported me because they were so paranoid or afraid of the effeminence I was showing. And and they just didn't know how to deal with it. Right. Right. And I think also that combined with like the whole like Jesus, others, yourself, joy, like this is how you prioritize your life. Put Jesus first, others, self, yourself last, which has no... Which is one of the most fucked up things ever because... Right. Because yeah. you can't pour from an empty glass. Exactly. And no, I, I say that one more time. Because you can't pour from an empty glass. Say the formula one more time. Oh, Jesus, others, yourself. Okay. And that's how you're supposed to prioritize right. your life. Okay. So I, I've talked to several ex-evangelicals actually who who were so fucked up by that. Because it it creates a a fundamentally codependent person. It creates a recipe for for just psychic torture. Well, it creates codependence on both the community and the personage or the idea of Christ, depending. And then also you don't ever learn to take care of yourself. And I mean, people can poo-poo and get all upset about millennials are showing individualistic and they care too much about themselves and they want bath bombs and (laughs) stuff like that but taking care of yourself really is important and it's not all bath bombs sometimes it's like really painful breakups because someone's being abusive and sometimes if you don't know what you need if you're not paying attention to your own self then you're just gonna crash and burn exactly so this is one of those messages that kind of goes beyond being gay this is something that all of us got, gay or straight. Right. Was um don't was put Jesus first, others second, you last, but but the end result is that you are unable to to listen to any of your internal warning systems. And because you can't do that, then then so then you'd burn out. You're not you're not taught to trust your senses or trust your needs or listen to yourself. 
And it really wrecks your ability to live a functional life. And you are supposed to be codependent on the community. You are supposed to rely on the community yes. to be your internal compass of whether you need a break or whether you're going in some wrong direction philosophically or morally. You're, and you're supposed to be help everyone else be codependent. You're supposed to go to them and be like, well, hey, I see you're struggling with this and I'm going to put my oar in where it don't belong. <laughs> and that's been a huge struggle for me becoming a member of the gay community because the gay community is not like that at all. Like, the gay community is very cutthroat. Like, get your shit together or get out. Yes, now, would you say the gay community? Would you say the gay community is like that, or the drag community is like that? I would say the gay community. Okay, and because we've all we've all been through alienation because of our identity, and so we don't. That turns around and teaches gay people growing up not to rely on the community for their sense of self-worth. And so, I mean, there's... Mm, that makes sense. There's benefits. I mean, I'm not saying that, like, one is better than the other because it is beneficial to be a member of a community and have people, like, watch out for you and stuff like that, but it can very easily become codependent. And there are benefits to having your own internal compass and guidance and not being worried about the rest of the world, but it can also become very cutthroat and very isolated. Right, right. Did teachers or classmates at ACA talk about homosexuality around you? No, never. Okay, so and that that might have been because they picked up on your queerness. Oh, I definitely think so. We have a mutual friend from those days who I've heard later from him that people behind our backs would say that we were like boyfriends or that we were gay for each other or there was a problem or there was something wrong about us and I didn't even hang out. I guess I hung out with him a fair bit compared to other people because nobody liked me. But, I mean, we palled around a little bit after school and nobody ever said that anything about that in front of me or to me. It wasn't on my radar because I didn't know I was gay yet. I didn't really understand hom homosexuality or gender <clears throat> ideas. And it was, I know for a fact that it was Twittered about behind our back. But I never heard anything. Any of it. So that's really interesting because I it came out around me. And it came out, I think, because I was more straight acting. And so people felt comfortable to to say stuff. About homosexuality about, or about me? And about homosexuality. Oh, okay. And so teachers would, would talk about it. They would, I remember one particular instance where a biology teacher, you know, the one I'm talking about, oh. where a biology teacher talked about how how forbidden and disgusting and wrong and evil homosexuality was. And she told this story about how when she was a teenager, she was backstage at a play and she turned a corner and saw two guys making out and just how revolting that was to her and she tied that revolting experience you know she she tied that feeling of of revulsion to her holiness to god's holiness and how unholy homosexuality is and i think that is one of the really damaging messages that i took away is because i was still kind of incognito people knew i think you know people were catching on i think i was catching on as well well i think it also was probably different tactics for 
the different places that they saw us. Because I feel like for you, because you were a little bit more, yeah, more butch, less queer, I think for you, it's kind of like, oh, he might be tempted to go down that path. Better make sure he understands that she's <laughs> fucked up. So you were, you were already just prancing down that road. Right. It's like, don't sing any show tunes that aren't in this year's musical around Nathan, because he is just one lisp away from <laughs> falling head first into a gangbang. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember experiences in that same biology teacher's class where the, like, the entire room was of students and the teacher was so like almost in terror as if I pushed a, I mean if I pushed any boundary but I remember one specific incident where we were talking about STDs yes tell this story and I was trying to understand kind of the biological creation of disease you were basically. you were trying to get a decent sex education well I, just a bi- biological education <laughs> yeah. really didn't have anything to do with sex i was like where do these diseases come from how are because i knew that you know I, I think i was aware of the fact that we didn't always have all of the uh sexually transmitted diseases that we have and so i was curious like where do these things come from biologically and i kept pressing the question and the whole class was groaning and the teacher didn't really want to answer and eventually she gave the classic age response because i can't remember if we were specifically talking about aids or it was like the elephant in the room but she gave the classic well a man had sex with a monkey (laughs) oh oh god yeah and and so how did that leave you feeling? It felt... Because I wasn't aware of my sexuality, it was an, an incredibly alienating situation. I mean, it was obviously pronounced enough that I remember it happening, but that's also, it was part of a l- big trend of me asking questions and me wanting to be inquisitive because that's my nature and people getting upset when I would draw connections or when I would ask questions because for some reason I was going too far and I never understood how or why they thought I was going too far and had I been honestly I feel like had I been butch it probably would have been different it might not have been they might still be like well we don't talk about those things right well it might have been kinder we don't talk about things this is like shut up it might have been we don't talk about right. those things or it'd been like well what an inquisitive young mind you have you're <laughs> gonna do you're gonna do so much things so many things for the lord someday let's which I, wait which several let's wait several years till we talk about i heard that too you're gonna do so many things for the lord you have a great future ahead of you i remember once i had a conversation with a classmate in the biology class and she asked me what i wanted to do and she with my life and i was like something artistic and she was like but but you have, you're so smart. You could like cure cancer. You need to. You need to... <laughs> and look at you now, a godless drag queen. <laughs> Curing the cancers of the heart. <laughs> um, so kind of what I am hearing and, and what I have realized as I've thought about my experience in Christian high school is being gay in, in Christian school it's a bunch of little things that build up into a deeply traumatizing experience. And it builds up into this sense of untouchableness, unlovableness, the sense of that something fundamentally part of who you are needs to be kept secret because other people just find it gross. Other people just find it disgusting. And it breaks my heart thinking about just about every single 
conservative Christian community because there is a young gay person or just an adult gay person in that community who is there in secret. I promise you there's someone there. And that and because that community may not know or may think that person is towing the line, they feel safe to let their true beliefs and their disgust at homosexuality come out. And that is such a deeply destructive and demoralizing experience. Now, if you encounter it just once as a gay person, it hurts, but it's okay. I mean, it, it, it's awful, it hurts, but you'll, you recover. If you, but if you get it, if you get that sense every single day of that untouchableness, that unworthiness, that if these people around me, my fundamental community, the only world I know, if, if you believe that if you come out or if they were to know who you are, then they'd just be disgusted by you or they wouldn't know how to handle you. That's so hard. I think it's very much like water torture. I think whether you're a person of color or you're a woman or you're sexual gender minority, it's not so much that every instance of sexism or bigotry or racism is this incredible blow that knocks you off your feet. It's the little digs, the little, being followed around a store because you're a person of color or the teachers not being excited when you ask questions because they see you as queer or somebody mansplaining to you because you're a woman. It's all these little things that dig in every day. And, and the, the accumulation of that, the, the cumulative buildup of that is just insanity. And it's so worn into like sewn into the fabric of of your being. Well, of society and yeah. what these people and these people obviously all over the place think it's acceptable to look down at you because you're a woman or think you're uh, a th- someone who isn't well educated or smart or good because you're black or that you're inherently immoral because you're gay. When you see so many people just blithely ascribing to that belief, it makes you feel deeply unlovable. And that was definitely like we were talking about, like the unpacking the damaging effects and like, especially the teachers, especially the authority figures, all those little messages that I wasn't up to par for some reason combined with what everybody gets like Jesus others yourself you know make sure that you're following these precepts because that's the only way to stay a good worthwhile Christian yada yada yada. it it really created this terrible terrible sense in me that I was deeply deeply unlovable yeah absolutely me too And, and by the way so straight allies listening to this straight people listening to this this is why you have got to stand up and go out of your way to make sure people know that you support LGBT kids and LGBT people in general. Because I promise you, if you are at a conservative church or at a Christian high school or Christian college, there is someone in the closet there and they are internalizing all of this and you standing up and going out of your way to reach out to them or to just subtly communicate that you support gay people and and trans and bi and so on. Um, you going out of your way to make that clear really could be the difference between life and death or for some people. Be- 
Or at least just being nice. I mean, I had some yes. teachers who never, ever mm-hmm. indicated to me they were in any way um, queer positive. But they were just nice to me and they appreciated my gifts. Because another unfortunate element of things is that most of the members of a Christian education community are economically tied to that community. Yeah, that is true. If you're a minor, usually your parents are putting you in school. If you're in college, which we'll get to later, maybe as a second episode, yeah. we'll... If you're in college, then usually you're paying a lot of money to get these credits, and then you might have to... Even if you want to transfer, you have to think, well, my credits transfer. Can I get financial aid? Can I move? Yada, 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 yada. And then just for the teachers, the faculty, and the staff, from the janitor to the principal to the English professor to the TA to whoever to the coach, that's your livelihood. And if you speak out too much, if you go against the grain too much, there's a very good chance you're going to get fired. Yeah, for sure. And... So, uh, yeah, it creates a difficult situation for everyone. Um, Did you, (laughs) this is a totally different subject. One of the big lessons that, you know, we as men in the church learn is to flee lust. And, you know, and so we were given books like Every Man's Battle or I Kissed Dating Goodbye or just all of, uh, we men were taught very much to manage their, their lust and to flee from temptation. Did you ever, like me, feel like that you were just a really holy person because you didn't deal with lust towards women? Sort of. <laughs> no, I would. I would look around at at other guys, and they would be like, "Yeah, man, I just, I just really need to bang that girl. <laughs> I just really, and it's such a struggle, and it's so hard. I'm just trying and you just to look be in the mirror. Pure. Picture yourself as Saint Francis of Assisi talking to birds because you didn't care about exactly. Women. I'm, I, and and here I am, like, wow, I must, I must be really holy. <laughs> Did you ever have that experience? Uh, a little bit for me, I just, I had terrible sex for me. I had terrible sex education. And so like the idea of fleeing from lust. I was your sex education. Yeah, yes. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. <laughs> um, so you know how terrible it was. Yes. So being acquainted with the concept. Of and by, th- and by that, just so the conservative Christians don't think we were having high school orgies. Oh God. Um, I, w- <laughs> when I say I was his sex education, that is not to say we were having sex. Right. We, we, I, he would ask me questions and I would answer them to the best of my 16 year old ability. And I was like, wow, why did no one tell me that? Uh huh. So, (laughs) first, that, so the question kind of presumes that I had a working understanding of the concept of lust. Right. Add on top of that, I feel like I was kind of a late bloomer, partially, I think, due to hormones, which I'm still kind of dealing with. And how do you mean? Um, my hormone levels are very out of whack for a cisgendered male of my age. And so I'm looking into that medically, seeing if... So you have very low levels of testosterone is what you're saying. So I'm trying to see if we're looking at that medically, seeing if we can find a purpose. I might be going on, I might be going on testosterone. I sometimes... To become a man. Yeah, that's what I, that's, (laughs) that's what I joke with my, um trans friends in the gay community i might be going on t to transition to become a man too (laughs) (laughs) they think it's very funny and 
I forgot what we were... Oh, so that presumes that I had a working understanding of the concept of lust. I do remember not being super interested in girls or chasing girls in eighth grade. And I just kind of was like, well... You know, I'm just not interested. I mean, nothing, no relationship you're going to get in eighth grade is going to last anyway. So what's the point? And I just kind of like wrote it off that way and wasn't concerned about it. And one thing that cannot be underestimated here for me, I don't know if you got this message as much, is I was surrounded by by ex-gay ideology. Ex-gay, and this was less at ACA and more just in my home life, right. more in my church culture and less at ACA. Um, ex-gay being the idea that gay people can and should change from gay to straight through prayer, therapy, a miraculous act of God, so on and so forth. And that I, and so this was so deeply ingrained in my worldview. It was just what I was raised with. I was, and I remember being very, very young, being like eleven, and asking uh, a family member, "Why are why are men gay?" And the answer that my dad gave was basically, "Well." They have shitty fathers, but you don't have that problem, so you'll be fine. Exactly. (laughs) Is you, is, well, they have shitty fathers, or they have an absent father, an abusive father, or they don't bond well with peers, they have an overbearing mother, and then as they get older, you know, that's that, it's a really deep emotional, psychological wound, but as they hit puberty, it gets sexualized. And that's why people are gay. That is the basic reparative therapy ex-gay model. And I was so, I was so ingrained with that. I didn't question it. I knew what an ex-gay person was before I knew what a gay person was because in my church, there were ex-gays. And so when I first started, when, you know, when I was 14 or 15 and first started to realize, oh, I'm gay, I knew, I instantly knew, well, it's because I didn't bond well with family members. It's because I didn't bond well with peers. I just need to be healed of this. And that turned into a deeply, deeply destructive cycle that turned into a deeply destructive thing for me and uh, I didn't really get into the whole ex-gay thing until after high school but that was my ideology well for me I mean I didn't it that goes back to like having terrible sex like in my world like homosexuality sex anything to do with sex but especially homosexuality wasn't really anything to be talked about the reason I my mother told me what homosexuality was was because of a Star Trek episode. Because we watched Star Trek The Next Generation. Right, 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 right. We watched Star Trek The Next Generation. We would tape it on... It was coming on TNT or TNN or something. And we would tape it and watch them together. And there was this one episode and she was like, you can't watch this one until we have a chance to sit down and watch together. And so we're watching the episode and it's this whole exploration of LGBT themes where this planet is full of androgynous people and one of the androgynous members of this race wants to identify as a woman and wants to fall in love and it starts falling in love with one of the male crew members and so my mother like pauses the episodes and explains what homosexuality is to me and you know me being a good little goody two-shoes and not being sexually awakened personally at all I'm just like ew that's gross and 
I don't know if it would have ever come up if we didn't watch a show that had an episode that prompted her to feel like she had to explain it for the context of that episode so that she would, so that it wouldn't, so that it's evil liberal ideologies wouldn't tug on my heartstrings with this beautiful space story of love between aliens <laughs> and accidentally shit me down the wrong path. So mm, mm -hmm. you were my exposure to ex-gay ideas but for me, I mean, even at the time I recognized this, if you remember, like, I was always very laissez-faire about it. It's like, well, I'm attracted to men. I need to fix that. <laughs> yeah. Eventually I'll get around to it. It's fine. I'm just kind of feeling my gig and right, listening right, right. to musicals and being lonely and angsty. But it's like, it's like someday I'm going to take up parasailing. Someday I'm going to fix the fact that I'm attracted to men. And it was never like this huge pressure inducing angst thing for me. I was like, oh, well, I need to become ex-gay. Oh, well, I'll read these things with Steven. I'll go to some meetings. It's cool. It's whatever. It's chillax. <laughs> and we were actually texting about this the other day that somehow, like, you had, like, I had these very... Horrific. I mean, just straight up horrific experiences. Right. And what was going on in your head was so terrible. Like, the self-loathing and the conflict within you yeah. was terrible. And... One of the many ways that in our friendship, you didn't take that out on me. Like somehow you didn't like turn your self-hatred around and take it out on me or you didn't expect me. It's like, well, if you're not, you're not really like engaging with your struggle. You didn't expect me to create my own self-loathing. Yeah. And I think part of that was because it was so tied to your self-loathing, which can often express in itself as taking it out on others. But but for me, it never really did. Right. You were yeah. so tortured about how terrible you were. Yeah. You didn't look at other people and be like, well, you need to feel you're terrible too. It was like, you were like, I am Steven. I am craven. I am awful. <laughs> I am, I am vain. I am Ian Vane, the depraved creature of the night. Oh. Ian Vane was the, uh, was my pseudonym online. And Remember our, what were the, those little websites we had? And Alonzo O. James was yours oh, online. We had little websites that matched. All right. Okay. We're getting off track. Oh, um <laughs> so is there are there any final thoughts before we before we wrap up this episode well i was just i was saying in that thought that oh i lost my train of thought now oh i'm sorry but you never turned around and looked at me and said sorry i'm trying to think i, I was going somewhere with that oh you saw yourself as this craven depraved monster of the night i did yeah but because I wasn't you and because I wasn't a part of your self-loathing, you were like, but that's Nathan. I love Nathan. Nathan has all these good qualities. And so you didn't expect me to be crawling through the mud with me. And you did. Yeah. I felt like I feel like you even like tried to stop me from crawling in the mud. You didn't want to drag me down and you even tried to keep me out of it. I think in some ways. Yeah, it was just so it was such a dark, awful place, which was really helpful and glad it wasn't like a further unhealthy or codependent aspect of our relationship because really you were the only person who didn't see me as a depraved <laughs> awful being like you were the only person that gave me the time of day mm. i mean lots of lots of lovely stories from high school about people like oh nathan's evil nathan's weird i don't like nathan nathan's just terrible nathan's so awkward which was true nathan you know nathan this and you were like the only person who was like well if you actually get to know him he's not that bad of a guy <laughs> exactly he's got some good qualities all right well that's our show for this week 
Uh, if you have enjoyed this and you want to respond, please do so on Twitter or Facebook or send me an owl or follow and, me on Instagram. Yeah. So Nathan, where can people find you? Um, again, on Instagram, it's Ida.B.Carolina. On Twitter, it's Ida underscore B underscore Carolina. I'm also on Facebook as Ida Carolina, and I'm pretty generous about accepting friend requests, although I get a lot of weirdos. So if you're if you're wanting to be friends with me on Facebook because of this show, I would shoot me a message when you send me the friend request. Absolutely. Hi, I'm not a weirdo. I listen to Sacred Tension with Stephen Long. And I <laughs> I'm not a psychopath. Um, <laughs> I'm not a weird Egyptian man tranny chaser. <laughs> Do you really get those? I call them hiero dick pics. Do you get them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get dick pics from Middle Eastern men who either don't know I'm a drag queen or know I'm a drag queen. <laughs> like they're looking for that green card or looking for some exotic, tr- strange flesh. Some transsexual American flesh. Oh, my goodness. All oh, right. Yeah, it's bad. All right, well, music for the show is by The Jelly Rocks. The artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant. If you love my work and want to support it, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen and write a favorable review. That will really help me out. And you still have the Patreon? Oh, yeah, and I still have the Patreon. So you can find that at sbradfordlong.com, my website where you can read my dozens of articles on faith, doubt, sexuality, science, and so on and so forth. And... um, You can also become a patron there to support my work. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye.